this week on the Back Table Podcast. I think we have to get the message out that it is extensive. It's wide ranging. It's all genders. We do so many different things that if we can get that message out, that if you've got a pelvic floor and a pelvis, and even some of these symptoms that people think are okay to live with, that pelvic PT often is the answer. I feel like if we had every 18-year-old through the door to set them up with some basic knowledge to begin with, we probably would have less problems later in life. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Backtable OBGYN podcast, your source for all things obstetrics and gynecology. You can find all previous episodes of our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on Backtable.com. Well, welcome to another episode of Backtable OBGYN, and I am so pleased and so honored to have our special guest today, Ingrid Harm Hernandez. She has been a physical therapist for over 38 years and began specializing in women's health over 26 years ago. She was a co-director and a mentor for the Duke Women's Health Physical Therapy Residency Program, mentor for the new pelvic PTs, and participated in PFTN, which is NIH-funded Pelvic Floor Disorders Network research projects. She's BIRD certified in women's health and pelvic floor biofeedback, and served on committees for both the APTA and OGS. She enjoys presenting on the importance of recognizing and assessing the pelvic musculoskeletal system and published Assessment of the Pelvic Floor and Associated Musculoskeletal Systems in the FMRS Journal in December 2021. She also published her book in 2021, The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms. She has been a guest on national and international podcasts and webinars and is the pelvic detective on YouTube. Her goal is to provide individuals with the knowledge they need to get proper care and for everyone to realize the pelvic conditions common but not normal. So thank you so much. Ingrid, for coming today. I mentioned this just before we got on the air, but I, as a urogynecologist and also Mark as a MIG surgeon, refer patients to public for PT at least 10 times a day, I think. So it's so critical and crucial to have a public for physical therapist team on your side as part of our team. So in any case, I just wanted to thank you for coming today and to thank your specialty for helping so many women. And I will say there's not enough of you. Thank you so much for having me. I've so looked forward to this and really trying to get the message out there and have people better understand what we do and why patients should come see us. Absolutely. Well, can you just tell me a little bit about yourself and your background and why did you choose Public for PT? Yeah, so I guess my story, I would say, is a little bit convoluted in that when I became a PT many, many years ago, there was no such thing as women's health or pelvic PT. And I had some patients confide, they were pregnant, they're like, you know, I'm I'm leaking, I'm, I don't know what to do about this. So, you know, I had to go to the library, <laughs> so I'm dating myself, to actually find out what this was about. And I found out that there were physical therapists in Australia and in Europe that were doing this, but not so much in the United States. So I learned whatever I could. And the more I learned, the more I wanted to learn. And I was able to really help so many people with pelvic conditions when it was something that they didn't know they could get help for. And then when I came to Duke, I was so lucky with our Eurogying team who supported me, let me do things, just really was a great team with me. And then I got involved in research and just doing so many things. And then at Duke, we formed the first women's health physical therapy residency program. And that was exciting. That then led to being able to write a paper to guide other practitioners 
on how to do a musculoskeletal exam so that women didn't have to have a painful exam and could have an accurate musculoskeletal exam and understand, well, what's really going on here in the pelvis and what what's the next step, right? And then the very last thing is the book that I wrote, The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms, because I felt it took patients just too long to come to actually see me, that they didn't know what to ask for. Practitioners didn't know, well, how do I help someone solve these problems? And the book is written for both, both practitioner and patient, so that they can help themselves kind of get to the right place much sooner and get the care that they need. So it's been an evolution over time that I'm so grateful that my career let me take that path. Can you just talk a little bit more about the training that you had to do in order to become a pelvic floor PT? Yeah, so my path probably is a little unusual just because I started so long ago, but I can kind of list out for me, I took numerous courses on women's health, pelvic health, orthopedic, things that all led up to me being able to gain the skills and the knowledge that I needed to get where I wanted to be. And then our national organization, the APTA, started board certification back in 2009. So I was that first cohort to sit for the board exam. And that's the WCS that you see after my name. What they do more these days is you have to go through these numerous courses like I did. And then there are a couple paths you can take. One is the residency program like we do at Duke. And they spend a year with us just being super immersed and everything pelvic and lymphedema, it's, it's pretty extensive. You have to have at least 2,000 hours of clinical direct patient care. And then you are, once you write a case reflection, you're allowed to sit for the board exam. Our national organization also has what are called a CAP program, which is either pelvic or OB centered. You can go either way, and that's a certification itself. And then there's a company called Herman and Wallace. They teach multiple courses, no matter what level you are. And you can take numerous courses and get a certification from them as well. And that's a PRPC. So you might see these different alphabet, <laughs> you know, behind clinicians, but they all stand for some kind of certification that you can get as a pelvic PT. Well, can you explain what is pelvic floor PT? Like what exactly occurs and how can we best explain it to patients so they actually go to PT? That's a great question because I think sometimes the fear of going to pelvic PT really stops. And even in, in, the, in our Eurogyne world where that's what we all work with, less than 50% of the patients referred to pelvic PT actually go, right? So I think, again, the book has that knowledge in it. So if someone picks it up, they know what happens in an assessment. They know what happens in a treatment. But basically what I'll say is every pelvic PT will decide after doing a long subjective assessment, what does this patient need? So what I mean by that is, do they need an internal assessment? Do they need just external assessment? Do they need a full-out orthopedic assessment, which are wonderful skills that all PTs will use for joint motion and mobility and functional level? We will do that depending on the patient's needs and what they desire. Like their goals are hugely important for us when we approach how we're going to form a treatment for them or a treatment plan for them. So once we have that assessment, if it's an internal, we look at muscle strength, muscle ability, muscle endurance, muscle quick response, trigger points, fascial restrictions. It's actually extremely extensive what we look for. And I will say that that relaxation component that we look for in the muscle is exceedingly important because we will not prescribe an exercise 
regimen until we know exactly what they and their pelvic floor can do. And I know that sounds funny, but if I have someone with overactive bladder and their pelvic floor is is upregulated, is hyperactive, there are many terms that we use for that. And I give them a hundred pelvic floor exercises to do in a day, I can make their symptoms worse. So we need to prescribe the exercises based on what we find. And then that's kind of the tip of the iceberg, I'll say. From there, we'll do a comprehensive exercise program for their core, for their body. I say knees to toes. I sometimes treat their neck or their feet if I need to in order to resolve the symptoms. And then we do behavioral therapies where it might be How do we teach them to get their bladder to calm down so that they don't have urgency? How do we teach them to have a bowel movement so they can have a bowel movement without constipation? Because we all know that it's not just our organs, it's not just our colon, but it's our pelvic floor that hugely impacts how we're able to have a bowel movement. So teaching someone how to change their lifestyle, their life, their abilities, their functional level is huge while we're doing all these exercises. You can see it's like, this is just, like I said, the tip of the iceberg. It's extremely comprehensive that once you send someone to pelvic PT, that PT is going to figure out what's going on in their life. And I may have two patients with the same diagnosis, but I might not do the same treatment because they're different people. So one might be a retired person who has time on their hands. Not all retired people do. And then I might have, you know, uh, someone who's pregnant has three children and a job. I'm not going to give them the same routine because they can't possibly do the same routine. So it's very, very individual. There's a couple points that you just brought up that I wanted to just touch on because so many of my patients have underlying conditions like the their back pain or hip pain. They're incredibly common. But, you know, pelvic pain conditions like endometriosis or interstitial cystitis or vulvodynia. And a lot of people just instead of holding all their tension in their neck and their shoulders, they're holding it in in their pelvis. There's so many etiologies. It's just, I think you nailed it when you talked about how it has to be a comprehensive assessment. Because if you just address the pelvic floor and you're not addressing some of the underlying issues like the back pain or the hip pain and strengthening their core, then you're just a little bit in a tailspin, I I would imagine. So I, I really appreciate that about your specialty. Would you say that you're all women? Because especially if you're doing the internal work, I think it's very surprising for some patients. Yeah, so we're majority women, but there are men. And it is increasing, actually, over time, we've had more men enter the field. Some of it is because we have, we treat men. So some of the misconception is that, oh, we just treat women and only women have pelvic floor issues. No, everybody's got a pelvis and everybody has a pelvic floor. So we really need to address like all the issues across the spectrum. So I think men are stepping in because sometimes it is uncomfortable. I've had many men and they are, they're so hesitant, you know, when they first come in and they're like, well, you're a woman's health. I'm like, no, just call me a pelvic health specialist. The the poor, you know, post and pre and post prostatectomy and prostatitis. Uh, prostatitis kind of fits in this same unfortunate category of recurrent UTIs where everybody's busy blaming it on some infection when it's really not. Quite frequently, it's actually the pelvic floor mimicking the same symptoms. So what we do with someone with recurrent UTI or prostatitis is we actually have to get them off this cycle of antibiotics and antifungals, and it just keeps going on and on. When I started in the field 
Antibiotics were still given out very regularly and very easy. I had women who said, I could just call my doctor, say, I've got an infection, and please just give me antibiotics. And I'd have to convince them to say, no, please go in for a culture. And if that culture is negative, we know we're looking at something else. And they come back saying, I can't believe it, Ingrid, you were right. I don't have an infection. It feels like it. So we would work on their pelvic floor and the infection type symptoms would go away. And our our men with prostatitis are in the same boat. You know, I, I feel so bad that we really have to work on getting them away from this cycle of antibiotics. And once we do, they just do so, so much better. You reminded me that I've heard some stories of from pelvic floor PTs, how effective it is. And a lot of them tell me it's even more effective for the men, like they pick it up easier. And it's like a classic story of for the young men, especially like soccer players, and they have psoas pain or post whatever, you know, vasectomy or whatever pain, they actually respond very well and very quickly. And they're like, it's the most amazing, gratifying treatment. (laughs) You're 100% right. Yeah. Um, But anyway, I also wanted to just ask about what other indications can you think of to go to a pelvic floor PT? Yeah, there are many, many different reasons to go. I would say one of the unfortunate things, once again, is that people, especially women here, are taught it's okay to leak. It's normal to leak. It's normal and okay to have pain with sex just live with it, put a pad on. And one of the reasons men get better quickly is pads are for women. They don't want to have pads. They want to get better yesterday. (laughs) So it has a little to do with that. But it's this issue of, well, yeah, you know, we giggle about it. We laugh about it. You know, if I'm with my friends, I laugh and I pee on myself. And we just kind of just say, well, no worries. But we have to dispel those myths that it's normal. You know, we really, I want the conversation to be normal about it, but not that the conditions are normal. So some of the most common things are any kind of leakage with coughing, sneezing, laughing, urgency where you can't make it to the bathroom on time, or even if you now make it to the bathroom in a year or two years or five years, you might not make it to the bathroom. Solve that problem now before it becomes a leakage issue. Fecal incontinence, my, that is a big one that people don't want to talk about. That is something that is kind of off limits for people. But I want people to realize out there, you know, if you've got patients coming in and they're kind of hemming and hawing about things, go ahead and ask, outright ask, because these patients actually want you to ask so that they feel comfortable. Say, yeah, you know, by the way, every time I pull my underwear down, I have a stain on it. I, You know, what it, what's going on kind of thing. Or constipation. No, it's not okay to live with constipation. The more you strain, the worse the problem gets. And sometimes it's such an easy fix working on the pelvic floor and proper toileting position can make a night and day difference with them. So constipation is another thing. Don't wait on that. Prolapse for women right after pregnancy and then later in life. And it's been shown that operative deliveries are at a high risk for forming prolapse either immediately afterwards or years down the road when menopause shows up and the pelvic floor starts to change because of that. So any kind of bulging, any pressure that you commonly see in your practices can absolutely be treated by pelvic PT. Pain with sex, that's another big one that people do not want to talk about, but that should be such a big checkoff right there that if they're having pain with sex, whether it's post, and I'll say fourth trimester, not postpartum, because we have to stop thinking that the woman is better after six weeks. You know, we may check off that they're okay, their bleeding has reduced or stopped, and now we say they're ready to go. A lot of times they're not. They're not ready to go. They have back pain. 
They have incontinence. They have prolapse. They have fecal incontinence. These are the patients that absolutely need to go to PT. During menopause, pain with sex again increases. That's another time. You mentioned before back pain and hip pain. This is a big one. If they have incontinence and they have back pain as well or hip pain, wow, that's a telltale sign to get them to pelvic PT. I can't tell you how many patients I've treated that come in and they say, well, I have incontinence and this is going on and I go through their history and they say, you know, well, I've had a hip bursitis and I've been treated for it, injections, whatever it may be. It doesn't get better. I treat their pelvic floor and their quote unquote hip bursitis goes away because it was never hip bursitis. It was the obturator internus, a hip rotational muscle. So we need to look at that broad spectrum of multiple symptoms. You mentioned before vulvodynia, IBS, interstitial cystitis. If they have this suite of problems, they have more than just a simple fix, I'll call it. They have an upregulated system. They have these comorbidities that are very, very typical. So I'd say look for these comorbidities, migraines, asthma. All of that fits into this group of upregulated individuals that absolutely can benefit from pelvic PT. Tell me why you wrote the book, The Musculoskeletal Mystery, How to Solve Your Pelvic Floor Symptoms. I'm assuming you were motivated by all the success you were having, but I also am thinking there's just a general lack of awareness. Absolutely. So I would say patients, especially when I started, sometimes they had symptoms for 5, 10, and 30 years before they stepped through my door. So if they didn't have a musculoskeletal condition to begin with, they certainly have it now because once your body starts to fight these, whether it's pain or fear of loss of urine or fear of losing fecal matter, the body starts to react by tightening and protectively trying to avoid the issue. But the person doesn't know they have it. They can't see their pelvic floor. It's not like having your arm tight or your shoulders up. You can see that. With the pelvic floor, they don't know they're doing it. So because I saw this delay, I just thought to myself, I, I've got to get the message out to everybody so everybody speaks the same language. And so when I wrote the book, what I thought is, how do I do that? So my first goal was to kind of dispel a lot of mysteries about the pelvic floor and the musculoskeletal system and how it's hooked neurologically, how our brain impacts, how we respond to things, how we respond to stressors, all impacts the musculoskeletal system. So the first part of the book just deals with everything you could think of from the pelvic floor to the pelvis and how it's all integrated. So that whether you're a practitioner or you're a patient, you can really see, oh, that makes sense. Then I link it to the diagnosis. So we talk about how does that then affect incontinence or how does it affect prolapse or pelvic pain or pain with sex? Then I take it to the next step and I say, well, this is what might happen in a pelvic exam. So the patient isn't fearful, or if you as a practitioner have this book, you can say, well, when you go to pelvic PT, you might, you might have an internal exam, you might have biofeedback, you might have manual techniques, and then you can explain it to the patient, and the patient is so much more likely to go. You've got that literature, that resource right in front of you. And then I take it the next step to what happens in pelvic PT, some of the things we talked about. So it's like, oh, well, that makes sense. Now I know why they're going to tell me what do I need to do for my bladder or what do I need to do for my bowels? What kind of exercises? I spend four pages in the book describing pelvic floor contraction and relaxation so people understand that a thousand Kegels a day, in fact, I don't even call them Kegels because there's such a misconception as to what they are. I say pelvic floor contraction and relaxation so that they say, oh, Okay, I see. This is how we focus on it. This is how we do it. 
And relaxation is just as important as contraction. And then there's a whole last section on self-care. And I do that because A, some people, they just like to know what can I do to start my way to get healthy again. And for practitioners, it's like, oh, I understand now. This is why they're doing that in pelvic PT. I can now corroborate and I can enforce and I can encourage the right kind of activities in pelvic PT. And there's a section on how to put your team together. What does it mean to be your urogynecologist? What does it mean to be an acupuncturist? Why would I involve a sex therapist? That's all in there. And then I have a section on, I call it how to avoid Dr. Google, right? Because so many of my patients just, they get so worried when they read what's happening on the internet. And I wanted to just make sure that people understand what you read on the internet a lot of times is just not true. <laughs> so if we can get people on board there, and my doctors love to use it as a resource to say, hey, I think you should buy this book. I think you should start your journey with all the education here. If you need pelvic PT, you know you know, why it's important, what to do about it. And it was my way to give back. You know, after working clinically for so many years now, I just love doing the educational component and seeing light bulbs go off all over the place from from everybody. And it's, it's just so, I feel so fortunate that, you know, I've been given this opportunity to help the world, you know, find a better way to pelvic health. Well, that is awesome. I think that that is such a service to the public just so they can have more knowledge and information about the pelvic floor. I always have to explain to patients, well, you have this muscle diaper that keeps everything in and that can get tense just like everything else in your body. And they're like, you can tell the wheels are turning. Wow, I do have muscles that (laughs) cover that area. I'd never thought about it. Not like my legs or my arms or my abdomen or what have you. Nobody sees your toned pelvic floor. But also, you're right. I've seen those patients who have two-toned pelvic floors or read about it on the internet, and then they're trying to keep in their prolapse. And then all of a sudden, their pelvic floor is really tight. <laughs> so I yes. think doing the right technique, like you're saying, is crucial. So why is the musculoskeletal system such a mystery? And then how does it impact patient symptoms? I think there are a couple of reasons why it's a mystery. I think first, if we talk about, you know, lay people, there's nothing in any kind of educational resource that says, look, you, you've got muscles down there <laughs> and you have a, a rich resource of muscles all through your pelvis and they work as a unit. So usually when I educate for, you know, lay people, whether I go to a library or a senior center, I do everything under the sun. It's, I start them on what that core means and why it's important. So I think the mystery for them is they know somewhere out there that an organ might be affected or their hormones might affect their symptoms. I think they don't make those connections. And I think even for practitioners, I have to say, you know, if you think of how much education you have to cram in your brain to be a practitioner, the musculoskeletal system is taught, but then kind of put over here on the side. And it's not brought to the forefront until something more important happens, or there's a link made, which is why when I go to conferences and I talk about it, I talk about those same links, you know, to my practitioners and how we can't ignore the fact that the musculoskeletal system, not only does it have symptoms and issues of its own, but it can mimic symptoms. So I'll give you an example, the puborectalis, the muscle that nicely slings around from the front of the pubic bone around the rectum and back up again, the front part of that muscle when it has trigger points, can create an overactive sensation and make someone feel like they have an overactive bladder. The back portion slings around the rectum and can create constipation issues. So one muscle within the pelvic floor muscles can create 
many symptoms. Before I mention the hip, so our obturator internus, which rotates our hip, is directly connected to our pelvic floor. So if we have an issue at the hip and that muscle tightens, for example, it pulls on the pelvic floor and it creates an environment where that pelvic floor no longer can do its job well. We might not notice that immediately. An example might be someone has hip replacement surgery and a couple months later they have incontinence and nobody puts two and two together to say, well, that might be that we disrupted the pelvic floor and that patient needs to go to pelvic floor PT. The ileopsoas. I've had patients come in and say, I have ovary pain. I've been tested. I have ultrasounds. I've had this. I've had that. I test their ileopsoas and it mimics the pain. So what we have to look at is that the mystery, I think, for practitioners is that these muscles, the knowledge is there that they are there, but the knowledge isn't there that they can create symptoms that we blame on other body parts, right? So it's very important to make those connections that these multiple different muscles create symptoms that seem like there's something else that can actually be fixed quite easily. But if we ignore them or treat them in another capacity, we won't be able to resolve it. And it will just keep cycling and, and in fact, over time get worse because of that upregulation that I was talking about, which is a natural occurrence for anybody that if you have pain and you have problems and they're not resolved, your body really starts to fight that. Absolutely. And I think you raised such great, great points about how this one particular muscle can manifest in different ways and can be attributed to other organs, et cetera. I just am thinking of all the times that I've sent patients to pelvic floor PT. There's a, really an access issue, to be honest, because once you identify it, then I know now I'm referring patients since May and there's a three-month wait. They can't get in until August, so they have to put themselves on a wait list. So it's actually very frustrating for the patients as well. So can you also just, you alluded to this earlier, but just tell me, what why is teamwork so invaluable in pelvic care? I think that particularly for pelvic care, because there are so many subsets of things that can go on. So before we talked about, you know, I've had a patient come in and a pelvic floor, I've incontinence and I find there's a hip issue. For some of my folks, they're okay with talking about the fact that they have incontinence, but when I go through their subjective history, I find out that they have pain with sex because I ask all my patients about abuse history. I ask them about pain with sex. I ask them what causes the pain. I get real specific and nitty gritty and they realize it's okay for this person to be asking me about this. It's To her, it's perfectly normal. It's part of what she does. So if I can get all of that information, then I realize, well, we may be able to work on the musculature. I may be able to stretch things. I may be able to get the fascia to work. I may be able to guide them through getting through trying intercourse again when they're so fearful they want nothing to do with having any kind of intercourse because of the pain, right? And that cycles with low libido because your brain is saying, I'm never doing that again. It was painful. So what we then sometimes have to say is, well, we might have to pull a sex therapist in. We might have to pull an orthopedist in. I might have to get them to go to gynecology or urogynecology because they've never been. They have found me through someone else. And I have to say, you know, I think we need to look at this a little more deeply. You might need imaging. You might need things that just give us a much clearer picture of what's going on. I've had folks with endometriosis that come to me and I'm like, I think it's time to go back. And I think, you know, whether an endocrinologist or it's a gynecologist, I think you need that extra piece of the puzzle so we treat you as a whole. So I think for all of us, everybody in 
especially for pelvic pain, we can't possibly feel like we can address this as an individual. I have a lot of people, a lot of practitioners come up to me and say, oh, I don't know if I can do pelvic pain. It's so exhausting. And I say, well, are you trying to do it yourself? You shouldn't be. Call on other practitioners to form the team. Empower your patient to ask for care acupuncture, massage therapy, chiropractic. I have had so many practitioners at my fingertips that I feel very comfortable reaching out and saying, you know, this is what's going on with my patient. I really think I can't go alone with this. What do you think? And once you form that team, you don't have to be in Allwood Center. I, you know, Although I was at Duke, I had practitioners all through our triangle area. And I felt like my knowledge base was so enriched that if I did courses, I asked and reached out to these people to do the courses with me so that the PT sitting in the audience, the MD sitting in the audience, the nurses had this really comprehensive panel of people in front of them. And you could see them say, wow, why was I trying to do this on my own? A team is what we need. And the patient is part of that team. The patient, I make the patient understand they're just as responsible for their care and doing the things that they should do as every other practitioner on their team. And once we talk about that team, the situation usually changes dramatically and, and the care and the rate at which the patient gets better improves dramatically. That's awesome. Well, how can people find these trained public floor PTs? There is a, our national organization, the APTA is one way and you can go on and there's the, the Academy of Pelvic Health. There's a little tab on the top that says PT locator or PT finder. If they click on that, whether if you're a practitioner, you can do the same thing. Usually what I say is put your zip code in and then put a radius of where you're willing to travel or look for a PT, 25, 50, 100 miles, whatever it happens to be. What will come up is an entire group of pelvic PTs who might have the whole alphabet after their name, or they might not. A lot of private practitioners, it's very expensive to do this coursework and to do the certification. So they may have the coursework, but they don't have all the certification. So I tell my practitioners, pick up the phone, call them, ask them some of the questions about doing internal work, biofeedback, manual work. If they're all excited and they can explain it all to you and they're really into it, you've got someone who really specializes in it. A patient can do the same thing. I've had patients call me and just say, what do you do? I'm really not sure. Before I come in, I, I would feel better if you could just explain some things. So I will do that. And I've done that over the years. And I find that it just breaks that wall down. And then the patient feels a lot more comfortable seeing the pelvic PT. The more you have some pelvic PTs at your disposal, the more we get the message out, the more pelvic PTs there will be. We're really working on getting more pelvic PTs out there. It's just, you know, now that people know about it, the growth of the pelvic PTs is lagging a little bit, but it's getting there and it will get better. And I think we'll finally hit this nice even point where patients will have access much quicker than they do now, but it's all, all in the works and it's all getting better. What are some techniques that people can access on their own versus with the guidance of a pelvic floor physical therapist? I mean, I know my bias is referral to pelvic floor PT, but a lot of people for the incontinence have already figured out the, the knack and some other techniques on their own. So are there, I mean, it looks like you have a YouTube channel. I've seen people on social media. I think one is called the Vagina Whisperer. Um, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, yeah. So there there are some good resources out there for sure. I'll I'll say my my book is the first thing because that is that comprehensive, you know, covers everything and it has that self-care at the end. So you would understand how to do a pelvic floor contraction, a relaxation, if it's okay for you to do it, if it's not okay 
One thing I'll say for everybody, if you try this stuff on the internet and you're having, as a patient, you're having pain or you're having difficulty, that is the sign you need to go to pelvic PT. So I just, as a warning, I say to everybody, you can try the wonderful things, but if you're struggling and you're having pain, go to pelvic PT because it really means that what you're trying could make the symptoms worse and we definitely don't want that. So that's super important. On my YouTube channel, it's called The Pelvic Detective. And I have a few out there right now that go through some of the things we just talked about that kind of guide and is a good resource for patients as well. There are some nice kind of resources, I'll say, through OGS. So the American Urogynecological Society has the pelvic floor, the PFD for voices. And there's some great resources out there that are patient-centered. So a patient can go on the website and get it. And I find that's a nice starting point for a lot of people. There is, so there's the pelvic guru. She does a lot, a lot of stuff for both practitioners and for patients. And she's on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and (laughs) all sorts of things. On LinkedIn, I post about once a month. So I don't do a lot, but I post things that have to do with that month so that it gives research-based information to people. So it's good for practitioners and patients as well. So those are some starter things. And then Herman and Wallace has some patient-centered information and our APTA, the Academy of Pelvic Health, also has some reputable resources there. So I would start with those reputable resources because I know for sure they've got research-backed, evidence-based information, and you're not kind of saying, well, I'm not so sure about this. Awesome. Well, that's, I think, really helpful. And I think just getting the awareness out, but also just increasing the supply, it is hard to get all that extra training. So, and I know the PT training baseline is so rigorous, and then having to get another level of it really means that the pelvic floor PTs in the field are, are passionate about pelvic health and helping the patients in that realm. Because it is it is still considered somewhat niche, I would just say, even though that's my niche and I know about it. But like you're saying, a lot of people don't. So what are some conceptions that people have about pelvic floor TT? And like, what is the reality? People tend to think that we just give out a bunch of Kegels. <laughs> So we really have to work hard at at dispelling the myths that all we do is treat incontinence. We treat old people. You know, people don't even look at pregnancy in fourth trimester, yet fourth trimester has so many similarities with menopause. There are things that we need to do a good job getting out there and saying, look, you know, we can treat an 18-year-old. We can treat a 90-year-old. I've I've had 95-year-olds who do so well at PT, they're so dedicated to it. And so we can change it at any age is kind of what I'm saying with that. So it's another myth to dispel. We do so much more of a comprehensive program that may or may not include pelvic floor. For me, most everybody had some kind of pelvic floor program, but it might've been very relaxation and down training centered rather than up training and strength training until they could tolerate it. Core work was always part of it. Biofeedback was often part of it manual techniques where I would get in there and I do what's called hip mobilization, where they had such restriction at their hips. So I had patients who were afraid to give birth because they couldn't open their legs up. And I had to do mobilization and work on their adductors, their inner thigh, in order to get them to open their legs to to give birth. You know, it's that extensive and that varied that we treat. So I think we have to get the message out that it it is extensive, it's wide ranging, it's all genders. We do so many different things that if we can get that message out that if you've got a pelvic floor and a pelvis, and even some of these symptoms that people think are okay to live with, that pelvic PT often is the answer. I, I feel like if we had every 18 year old 
through the door to set them up with some basic knowledge to begin with, we probably would have less problems later in life. But that does not happen. And I don't know if it ever will. But I'm certainly hoping that pregnancy and fourth trimester get an immediate attention and care like it does in Europe and it, it, it does around the world. We're a little lagging in that. And I really wish that would change. And, and we're working on legislation that will change that presently that will improve that. Well, you brought up a really good point. Can you compare the U.S. systems and access to other countries where public floor PT is more accessible? Like I've heard some places it's just part of maternity care. Yeah. So it is part of maternity care. If you have symptoms and you ask for pelvic PT, you're immediately referred. There is no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There is, so I recently talked to someone in Sweden, and there is sometimes some limitation in that they may be referred, but then they don't necessarily have access or they have very limited visits. So there's, I think, around the world, everybody's got their their issues associated with it. But I do think that here in the United States, it's not recognized as something automatic. So at Duke, what we did, and that's really, I have to say thanks to our Eurogyne fellows who worked so hard to get every person who is a third or fourth degree laceration has a, an immediate referral to pelvic PT. So we can really catch things before, you know, Oasis injuries really become a huge issue. We really, it's such an, a refreshing thing to see someone where we can immediately get in there, do a few treatments and really help them so it doesn't become a long extensive process, we catch things early and hopefully prevent things later in their life as well. So those are things that are changing. There's some of our larger organizations through the United States are starting to recognize that and doing that. So I think we're getting better at it, but we really, really, really need, you know, to work on getting that information out there and changing that. Oasis meaning the obstetric anal sphincter injury, correct? Yes. Um, And it sounds like you know, you've been collaborating with your gynecologist. How about the urologist? Do they also refer or primary care? Do you get, where are you getting most of your referrals from? Yeah, that's great. So urogynecologists are, and OBGYN are our biggest. I physiatrist, family med, dermatology, GI. <laughs> it's pretty broad spectrum who will refer with that biggest group, like I said, being urogyn and OBGYN. It's funny you say that uh, in two weeks, I'm actually going to do a presentation for our family med group because they know about it, but they feel like they don't know enough. So I'm going to go through the process of what we do and what we treat so that they feel more comfortable referring. I've talked to your urgent care groups because although they don't, they won't necessarily, while that person is in that urgent need, they recognize it and they can at least say, you know, I think when you're over this urgent need of whatever this, the problem is, I think pelvic PT might be an answer for you. So they're actually introducing, I know that sounds wild, that's very recent, but because I've gone out and talked to people, I've changed people's entire thought process. I work with our pain group. That's been a big one. I've done some presentations for pain societies because they, although they know there are all these different wonderful things they can do, the pelvic floor somehow seems to be left out of that. So just getting them to open their eyes to pelvic floor and the link to backs and hips and knees and everything else we talked about. So I'd say eventually we'll have a much broader spectrum of physicians that are referring to us, but it will take that that teamwork and really talking to everybody before that happens. Wow. I just, I think that the Duke team is so lucky to have you, but also just getting the word out there for the 
patients to self-refer as well so they can be empowered to go to their NP or MD or DO or whoever they're seeing in the office to say, you know, I heard about this public floor PT, I'd like to go. And I think pretty much everyone would be like, oh yeah, PT, no problem. But like you said, not a lot of people know about it. And I think urologists, I thought I thought that they would refer to because there's a lot of people with the, the perineal pain, right? They do. They do refer. I think it depends on the group sometimes and kind of their whole thought process. So I have some urologists that are are, you know, jumping up and down and excited about pelvic PT and other are a little resistant. I think over time that will change. I think once they understand how much we can help patients, that will change. But that's kind of been for me, you know, my history because I started so long ago. I have to say that my first couple of physicians that I reached out to explain what I do looked at me like I had lobsters crawling out of my ears and kind of like you, what? <laughs> what, what do you do? And once they refer the patients, they could see the change, right? So I, I feel like when I approach new groups or groups that aren't used to it, it's that same kind of lobsters crawling out of my ears, but because they may have heard a little bit, the thought process changes a little quicker and we get people on board a little quicker. So that's been an awesome change that I just have been so honored to see a change in my career of total, like, what are you talking about to, yeah, that makes sense. All of your knowledge and all of the insights that you've brought today, I feel like I knew a lot about Pelvic Floor PT, but it just is always refreshing to get the insider perspective on all the interconnectedness of the symptoms and the wide variety of conditions that it, it treats. And again, I couldn't uh, I couldn't do my job without you. Truly, we need pelvic floor PTs as part of our team or we couldn't rehabilitate all the conditions that we are trying to treat. So thank you, thank you so much for joining us today. And right now, are you still are you still practicing or are you more on the teaching aspect of things? I moved over to teaching now. I think the the book is what kind of pushed me to go the other side. And when I realized how much of a difference I can make, as much as I love the one-on-one and I love my patients, the getting a larger group and a larger audience over time, I can see changes happen, big steps at a time. And I think the world is kind of ready for it now. So I just feel like that teaching has become so important to me and I can make a big change. So I decided to step out of the clinical role. And you were saying before, I I just feel like the Eurogyne team at Duke is what gave me kind of the ability to be brave, to step forward, empowered me to teach like this. And I have to say, not just to empower one person at a time, but when someone realizes a loved one has issues, they then have the knowledge to help that loved one as well. So it snowballs in a really good direction. And I have to thank the Duke Urogyne team for like really pushing me and allowing me to watch surgery. So say if you've got a pelvic PT out there, they may ask to watch surgery, let them, because it changed how I look at things, my perspective. I would be in clinic and I would learn things or I'd have the fellow shadow me in clinic. And when the fellow shadowed me, I would sometimes call on the resources. And then when I was in the room, the MD or the fellow, the nurse would call on my resources and the patient just loved that interaction that would occur because they could see we were doing this for them to help, you know, their care 
along. So I think if I can encourage, you know, your audience out there to work together and do that and shadow or ask a PT if you can be in the room for a day, you know, if, if that's feasible, go for it because it just totally changes the mindset. And I know I practice differently because of that, because of the ability to watch surgery or be in the room. So that would be my advice out there for no matter whether you're a PA, an MD, RN, NP, it doesn't matter. Everybody can benefit from stepping into someone else's role. So we get out of our silos and really step into like, what is this whole comprehensive interdisciplinary care role? Yeah, that's such a good point. I remember when I was in fellowship, we shadowed the PTs and just from the intake to gaining the trust to doing the work, it's a whole process and it gives you a lot of insight. So I I love that point. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your coming today. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to follow the podcast, rate it five stars and share with a friend. If you have any questions or comments, direct message us at underscore Backtable OBGYN on Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn. Backtable OBGYN is hosted by myself, Mark Hoffman. And Amy Park. Our audio team is led by Kieran Gannon with support from Josh McWhorter, Aaron Bowles, Nick Shellcross, and Ness Smith-Savadoff. Design and digital marketing led by Brian Schmitz with support from Taylor's Version Hess and Yvonne Ovrijinsky. Show notes and social media by Jody Lenora. Administrative support provided by Jimmy Lee Kennebrew. Music written and performed by Scott Baby Daddy Hoffman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you again next time. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on Backtable OBGYN are their own and do not reflect the views or positions of their employers or any entities they represent.